Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio. I can't do the R like you, Rob, (laughs) Uh, for episode 1341 entitled Blathering On With You, (laughs) which is a bit of what we do here on Zero G. (laughs) Our uh, podcast title is Earworm. I'm Megan McHugh. And I'm Rob Jan. <laughs> Excellent. We got a roll in there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've picked a couple of recommendations that I uh, suggested to Rob to see if we might take a little look at some tidbits that I'd come across. And so we're going to tackle those on the show today. But before we dig into the first one, which is an anime film, we might play a little bit of a track. And then after the track, uh, we'll explain a bit about why we played that track. So let's go into the track, which is called Teru Teru Bozu. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I'm very calmed. <laughs> I'm very relaxed. <laughs> and no wonder that's Japanese Zen music from an album called Japanese Koto Music, and it's by Tanae Noyashi. And it is a mix of a type that I've thought I'd never use on Zero G, but it is actually a Japanese restaurant mix. Oh. <laughs> But very relevant for today's topic, though, isn't it? So, of course, uh, titled Teru Teru Bozu. So that track is actually named after the little weather charms that are very common Japanese, uh, I guess, superstition or tradition, you might say. And it does translate into the English as shine, shine, monk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so basically these charms are made from bits of white paper or cloth and they look like a little kind of ghost. Um, It's got a little bobble head and a little skirt. So it looks like a little ghost. And uh, you make it with a little smiley face. You draw a little smiley face on there and you hang it up in the window and it is to attract good weather uh, or to stop rain. So... Traditionally, children would make them in Japan and make them by hand and then hang them uh, if they would like good weather for an event or special occasion the next day. Originally started, uh, Japanese farmers would do that, uh, obviously, to help with their crops or so on. Although I guess rain's good for crops, so I don't know. I guess maybe not all rain <laughs> needs some sunshine as well. So, yeah, it's a pretty common uh, thing that you might see in Japan. It is something that we saw a lot of in the movie that we're going to cover today. And interestingly enough, there is a zero-G slant to this as well. <laughs> Ooh, okay, go for it. Well, the the dolls, as you're saying, you've got the little bobble head what looks mm-hmm. like a, a rope around their neck and a little ghosty sort of uh, cape mm-hmm. and eyes drawn on it if you want, if you must. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the actual string is supposed to represent a, a, a noose. Oh, <laughs> is it the rain monster or something that's being hung? Well, yeah, in a way, there, it was a monk who um, this village was plagued by uh, torrential rain just never stopped 
And so he mm-hmm, said that mm-hmm. if I, I prayed, I could stop the rain and that would stop destroying your crops because, you know, too much rain and it just messes it up. Yeah, and there you go. And it it didn't work. The rain kept coming. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the, uh, the villagers hanged and decapitated him. Yeah, so that's what these little dolls represent. Are you serious? <laughs> <I'm> serious. <laughs> oh my god! I only looked up, you know, the the little charming anecdote because I've seen this before. Um, obviously, in Japan and in Japanese TV shows, and I was like, oh, what a lovely tradition! But it does have a dark past. Yeah. So the next, oh my god, the next time you're hearing that little. Uh, lullaby, which is basically what it tends to be used as. That's mm. what it is talking about. <laughs> well, that does place it firmly in zero-G territory. Yeah. Historical uh, J- tidbit fun fact, less than fun fact. J-horror. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, let's, let's, let's go onwards and have a conversation with our old friend, Annie May. Yes, we have gotten into a lot of um, anime at the most recent uh, times. I think you've covered quite a few series on Netflix, and this is another anime that you can find on Netflix. We do try to broaden our horizons, but Netflix just has a lot of good anime on there right now. So it is a Japanese film, and it is called Weathering With You, which if you've heard of it, you probably picked up that we were going to, we were headed in that direction uh, with uh, our, our conversations from earlier. But yes, so we are covering the anime film Weathering With You, which came out in 2019. It was released by Toho and it was produced by Comics Wave Films. So this film came with a little bit of hype behind it because it is directed by Makoto Shinkai, who also did the very well-received, critically acclaimed and very beloved film Your Name. Have you heard of Your Name, Rob, before I brought it up earlier? Yes, I have. Mm. Have you seen it or not no, yet? No, not yet. But I, uh, not yet. But I do know his other films. I do also know that um, there's an asteroid named after him too. Is there? Yeah, oh, well. 5522 Makoto Shinkai. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So <laughs> That's very fitting. Um, just to run through some of his other movies first. Yeah, for sure. So in addition to Your Name, which was a very, like, third highest grossing anime, uh, you know, did really well in the West as well, and that was his most recent film before this. So people kind of uh, interested in this, but he's had many successful anime that have found their way out of Japan into popularity in the West as well. And so that includes The Garden of Words, have you seen that one? That one is a really lovely short film. It sort of takes place, again, with the rain and yes. sort of a discussion between a student and a teacher. It's quite a nice little film, very quiet, very pensive. I saw that quite a while ago, so I don't remember a lot about it. He's also done Five Centimetres Per Second. Yes, that's an anthology movie. Oh, yes, we do like a good anthology. That one I actually haven't seen, but I've heard very, very good things about and is often on lists of, of animated checkout. I have seen it. It is brilliant. Mm. As, I mean, there's a trend here. His, his animes are really lovely. And uh, Voices of a Distant Star. So this is one from quite a few years ago, and I actually watched this when I was living in Japan, and it's quite sad and poignant. And it does carry on one of his common themes, which is, I mean, it's usually about interpersonal relationships, but um, 
sort of young teens or young people connecting with each other. And so Voices of a Distant Star is another example of that. Or, you know, two people connecting despite all odds is kind of a very clear theme with a lot of his films. And it's pretty long odds too, Voices of a Distant Star. That is actually a a science fiction one from 2002 where a girl goes into a space war and she's sending long-distance text back to a childhood friend who's a, a, a young boy back on Earth. Yeah, another very quiet film too. Like I think there's some lovely scenes in that and it's very much about their communication and their, you know, the distance between them as well as their closeness. So that one I remember really finding to be quite poignant. There's a five-minute short by him called She and Her Cat, which he did back in 1999, and that's actually his debut sort of calling card. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like five minutes, and it's about a, a cat's relationship with its owner told from the cat's perspective. Nice. I like those. And so he took it to conventions, <laughs> sold 5,000 copies, uh, years later adapted it into anime and manga, and that brought him to the attention of other filmmakers. And, you know, so this is lovely little sort of homespun DIY beginning for this <laughs> director yeah, and writer. Yeah, like talent, talent being recognised. So what have we got there? We've got um. a cat. Uh, we've got... Teen romances we've been talking about. We've got rain mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and estranged sort of couples, and, and that's pretty much all he does. <laughs> it is. He's got a he's got a little bit of a log list, doesn't he? Like, and he kind of mixes it. It's like he's got five ingredients, and he'll mix them in different ways. Um, but it does it does work. I mean, I think that is one of the criticisms of this work is that it is all very much in the same vein. But some people love that, and you know, if it, if it works, it works. So it worked for Miyazaki. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's very true. Too. Young girl hero, fantasy aviation, environmental theme. And actually, this movie encompasses several of those tropes as well. And, of course, our our writer and director is a fan of Miyazaki, you know, so Mm -hmm. as, of course, is every sensible, sensitive human being on the planet. Exactly. Anyone with two eyes and a beating heart. Um, But, yes. And we mean mean actually attached to their body and not in some (laughs) zero-G sort of way. (laughs) True, true. Exactly. Um, so yes, yeah, so weathering with you, we thought we'd check this one out. I had recommended both this and your name to Rob, and weathering with you is the most recent one. So we thought we'd tackle this one. So as mentioned, directed by Makoto Shinkai, and he has another collaboration with Radwimps, which is a Japanese rock band. And so they do the music for this. They do a score and some original compositions and so on. So maybe just before we kind of jump into a bit about the plot, I might just play a short track from the soundtrack. So this one we'll play is called First Part-Time Job as a Sunshine Girl, and it is by the Radwimps, and it is from the soundtrack to Weathering With You. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. That was First Part-Time Job as a Sunshine Girl by the Radwimps, and it is from the anime that we are talking about today, Weathering With You. So I think that sets the scene quite nicely. Uh, I mean, there are some, I wouldn't say dark things in this film, but overall it is a quite uplifting and sweet tale. And as alluded to before, it is about two teenagers who find each other and there are some mystical circumstances as well. So we have Hina, 
who is our sort of young female protagonist, and she is the sunshine girl to which that song mentions. And basically she can, I mean, this isn't a spoiler. This is the premise of the film. Uh, She can manipulate the weather or she can pray for good weather and it will come for a short time in the area that she is at the time. And this is important because Tokyo, where this tale is set, has been experiencing some unprecedented rainfall, which really sets a lovely sound mix for the film, which I think, again, we got a bit of the tone from in that track we played at the start of the show, but there's a lot of really nice ASMR rain sounds in this film. Uh, Pretty much the whole opening, we've got rain, I've got rain sounds. It's very cloudy. And so this is where Hina comes in and her abilities as a sunshine girl. Uh, and also the fact that she meets our, our young sort of uh, coming of age. He's a little bit immature. He's an idealistic runaway by the name of Hidaka. And he's trying to survive in Tokyo. He's just come there and he has run away from home. And so he doesn't have a lot of prospects. And it's about him kind of finding his way a bit and him and Hina cross paths through a series of plot MacGuffins, which don't really make sense or have anything to do with the main premise, which is the whole weather thing. Uh, They need a reason to involve authorities and other bits and bobs and some side characters who we get to know as well. But mainly our story is about these two and their adventures together as they try to manipulate the weather and survive life in Tokyo and survive life as young people. Mm. And that's kind of what the story is. I, I I, I agree that the movie has a lot of uh, sunshine in it for a movie where it's raining a lot. <laughs> but you see, it's actually quite important, the contrast between the, the cloudy weather. And you also get the con- mm. the idea that it's steamy there as well. So it's, it's yes. humid as it would be if it was raining in Tokyo a lot. Uh, so Mm-mm. I wanted to have a look at some of the... The actors behind this. Now, this is an interesting challenge because we've got an English language cast who did the dub that we watched on Netflix. Oh, I watched the Japanese original dub. But, yeah, I want to hear about the voice acting in the English dub. How was that? Good. Excellent. It was as good as any any great Miyazaki one. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's some interesting people in the cast in this. um, uh, In the Japanese language version, uh, Nana Mori plays... Uh, Hina, the uh, the young woman who has the power, <laughs> uh, and we've heard her voice before in uh, Tokyo Ghoul and and its oh. sequel Tokyo Ghoul S. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to have seen Tokyo Vampire Hotel on Prime Video, she's in that one too. Mm-hmm. And the English language dub for her character, played by Ashley Bocher, who we've heard before doing Aliens in the Attic in two thousand and nine. So she's obviously a fairly dedicated voice actor. Uh, we've also got uh, Shun Oguri playing the one of the side characters that Megan mentioned, uh, a middle-aged guy who runs a small publishing company. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a guy who, uh, that is to say, Oguri made his Hollywood debut in Godzilla vs. Kong in 2021. Oh, there you go. And doing his voice acting gig, he's also been in Full Metal Alchemist. And oh. you can hear him again in um, Japan Sinks, People of Hope, which is not Japan Sinks 2020, the anime that we reviewed recently, but it's based mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. same source material. 
And in the English dub, Lee Pace plays this mm-hmm. character. We know him as uh, Thrandul, the Elven King in the Hobbit trilogy, and he's also been Ronan, the Accuser, in the MCU and Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel. Mm. And before that, he was in the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn. (laughs) And you can look forward to seeing him in the Asimov-based science fiction television series Foundation coming up. Oh. Uh, One other person uh, of note in here in the voice cast is Alison Brie. Yeah. So we've seen her before in uh, in Mad Men as Trudy Campbell. Mm -hmm. And she's also been in um, Community, where she plays Annie, and <laughs> BoJack Horseman, <laughs> the, uh, the that strange series, and Glow. Oh, it's I haven't so seen Glow, but I've heard good things about it. It's a lot of fun. Look, it it does kind of lose momentum, but I think overall, I really enjoyed the first season, uh, and she's great in it. She's wonderful. I think she's wonderful in pretty much everything she does. And if you romped through the two Lego movies, you will know her as the voice of Princess Uni Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's got a Marvel connection too as well. She um, uh, directed uh, an episode of Marvel's 616, which is an anthology documentary series about That's right, about Marvel's yeah. school theatre program in this case. Mm. Uh, and you may also keep an eye out for a couple of the characters from your name. Yes, right. Who okay. Here in this, uh, look out for the uh, the jewelry store saleswoman. <laughs> so you know, and there's another one too. Um, so you know, the, 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 he has this nice little sort of cameos in here in an animated film, which I think is very cool. And it does feel like they might take place in the same universe. You know, I think yeah, there's a lot of similarities between this and your name. The voice acting is great. I mean, I listen to the dub and, I mean, no shade on people who listen to an English dub either. I think that that was my entry into anime. I watched the How's Moving Castle English dub, which is exceptional. Like, I would say it really rivals the Japanese dub. I prefer to watch anime in the original Japanese. But these days, honestly, the English dubs are so good. It's it's more TV shows, maybe Japanese TV shows, where the voice acting is not as higher quality, let's say. But generally, with these movies, they get a really good English cast to do to do the voice acting. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think it's up to you. Netflix has both options. So I watched the Japanese, and they've got the English on there too. Back in the day, it was uh, Gigantor and Astro Boy, and the rather hilarious dubbing for Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I bet it was. Part of, well, actually, yeah. Part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. And I actually know Howl's wasn't. I remember I watched Sailor Moon and Pokemon all in in English because they didn't put Japanese dub on children's Saturday morning TV. But anywho, so I think one of the things that is really nice about the film as well is the music, the score plays really well with the visuals and the colour palette, the way you mentioned before, like the sunshine elements and how they juxtapose with the rainy scenes, I think it really evokes a pretty strong feeling of actually what it would be like to be in a rainy Tokyo and the kind of feeling you get from like persistent rainy days. I really like rain and I like that kind of moodiness, but I can imagine after a prolonged time there is an effect on the mood and I think it is quite nice that the film talks a little bit about the effect weather can have on the mood and what a sunny day in a blue sky can do for the way you feel and I think there's a nice sequence sort of around the middle of the film that I got a little bit misty because the score was just working so nicely and it was just such a cute and charming little 
montage that they were doing. So I think there's a lot the film does right. I do have some issues with some parts of it, but overall, what were your thoughts on the, like, how did you find the film? Well, the first thing that you obviously notice is that it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, (laughs) the, the animation, and I'm talking about the moving movement of the characters is nothing particularly special except when they get into chase scenes and then it's incredibly kinetic and dynamic. Mm. And I really Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. felt like I was watching a live action film in parts of that because there was no, no, no concessions being made for it being animated. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but the backgrounds, they have excelled in the detail here. You know, I was, constantly being almost drawn out of the the movie to look at these tiniest little details that they Mm -hmm. have in the background, you know, rust in a gutter on a roof. Yeah. Um, Mm. The particular shine on uneven tiles that were on somebody's doorstep. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just absolutely gobstopping to look at the set dressing as it were, yeah, of the young girl's apartment. That was amazing. Like I just wanted to pause it and have a look at all those details and then the movie knew what I was thinking because it cut to some special yeah. close-ups of little details. And there's a, an abandoned uh, high-rise building that's just amazingly textured, you know. Yeah. It, it is actually a character in itself, as is the rain, of course, and, and the mm, rain mm. goes down to individual raindrops at times. It does. <laughs> and it you're does. just thinking, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And and you know, there is I actually spotted some product placement in this. Oh, there's a lot of yeah. product placement. <laughs> which I thought was quite funny because I don't usually they do like a little scribble or some kind of non-recognizable logo, but there was some very clear labels, some very clear locations. Um And I think what I really loved that's also sort of comes really alive in the scenes is all the cityscapes of Tokyo. And that made me quite nostalgic because I I lived in Tokyo for a time almost a decade ago now. But just seeing those detailed buildings in the background and like, you know, I saw there was like a Don Quixote building and the karaoke and all of that was just so familiar mm. and along with the the sound of the Japanese. It was a very quite nostalgic experience. And they've put a lot of attention to detail in that. I think that's quite deliberate because the setting is quite important here in terms of it being Tokyo and in terms of it being very fast-paced and, you know, much out of the control of these young characters. The vending machines, the pachinko mm-hmm. parlours, you know, down to the shop fronts and in the individual items on display in those the food, the little food items and yeah, things. Yeah, the, the food yeah. wasn't just, as you were saying, little squiggles this time. It was highly detailed. <laughs> um, one thing I, I, I noticed there, is there as many, as someone who's been there, is there as many English language signs in Japan as there were on the mm. streets in this film? Yeah, there are. Almost every sort of public sign will have English on it as well oh. or the Romanized version of Japanese words if that's required. Uh, a lot of businesses, Western businesses, will also have English um, on the signs. So there is there is quite a bit of English there. Dep- I mean, in Tokyo, like obviously in smaller cities, you're, mm. there's far less because there's not as much you know, of there's a, need. There's a fireworks display that's absolutely Ooh, incredible. Yeah. Um, the, 
the spine spring of a spiral notebook. <laughs> the shadows cast from the spring on the paper. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm looking at this and thinking, well, you've just taken so much obvious pleasure in creating this totally detailed and textured world. It's very, very convincing. And it has to be because the story itself is fairly incredible. So you, you need to do that to, to make mm-hmm. it work. So I just love the look of the film to start with. As we were saying before, the soundtrack's really good and, and integrates so well. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're often running there, and they do a lot of running in this movie too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although it has, its, yeah. it has its quiet zen moments, as we were saying. Yeah, and, for sure. And, and I think the climate change theme of it is mm-hmm. highly important as well. And, yeah, there's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a very cute cat. I thought that might win you over. Uh, no, the colour palette's beautiful. It all comes together nicely. There's some wonderful scenes. I mean, things that didn't work as well for me. So I definitely agree with everything you mentioned. Um, I think there's a couple, I mean, very small things. There's a couple of weird gratuitous moments that I thought weren't necessary, but then I gave the film some credit in that it was meant to show the immaturity and the young age of this of um Hidaka the protagonist uh because you know anime sometimes can lean into a little bit of gratuitous stuff it wasn't overt it was just a couple of scenes with another young young woman character but I was like do we need this but then I thought okay maybe it's just showing that he's very immature he you know really is kind of showing his age so that was just a small thing that I was like we didn't really need that um I, I agree on on that we can lean into that a little bit uh uh, one of our listeners did mention about when we were reviewing anime if we would care to mm. give some heads up on those sorts of mm. fairly salacious fan service tropes that you do get in some Japanese anime. Now, we don't really get too far into those ones, but sometimes, you know, the scenes will pop up anyway. Uh, probably the the one that I've seen that has the most of that stuff was um, High School of the Dead, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, which I watched because it was a zombie one, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It It is unfortunate that a lot of anime has yeah, this kind yeah. of theme. This is only a couple of small scenes and I would say it's not, you know, didn't ruin things for me, but I did question we probably didn't need yeah. it. One um, of the things was a, I was wondering if they were going to have a gratuitous bath scene, which is often quite common in anime. Mm-mm-mm. Well, they did have a bath but it was just a bath, you know. There was, yeah, you know, and they'd been out in the cold rain for an entire night, so you know, and, yeah, and it was I or done in good taste. It was, and from a cultural perspective, I think um, the Japanese are far more comfortable bathing together and things like that, and it's much more um, of a shared activity. Right. Um, but you're right; that could have gone down another path, and I'm very glad it, that it did. Yeah, so don't worry about that. I don't think there's too much in this movie that you'll find. No be too outrageous and and anything that yeah it's in context whatever they're doing yes yes agree i do think it is in context um i do think that the stakes and payoff are a little weird um it doesn't feel like it's the plot is a bit strange um as I mentioned before, there's kind of some weird MacGuffins and then towards the end, I'm not going to ruin anything, of course, but Hadaka, the our main young man protagonist, does some weird, like, unlikable, he's just kind of 
reacts to some events quite strangely in a very immature way. And I was like, oh, all these people are fighting for you and helping you and you are just the biggest pain in the butt, (laughs) (laughs) which is okay. He's meant to be kind of an immature pain in the butt. In the film, he's 16. So, you know. He's he does of course he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know anything. So There's a moment I get there's that. a moment in the film where they and I won't spoil it, but they mm-hmm. go to the logical conclusion of what's been happening. And I mm-hmm. went, Oh my god. <laughs> and they do a lot of fade to blacks in this film. So, you know, it'll go the screen will go dark for half a minute in some t- cases. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the dialogue will run on through that and the music and and, and when this is this oh my god moment happened right with one of the coincided with that and I'm thinking oh wow you have really gone there and full marks to you <laughs> and this is a, a logical exploration of it was very Kim Stanley Robinson let's just say oh okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but. Overall, it was a very sweet film. I did enjoy it. I thought it was very watchable. And there is something to be said for the visuals of it and how great it looks and how much fun it is to watch. Um, I mean, it's it's hard because I think, and I think this is probably a problem a lot of audiences had, is that I just could not help compare it to Your Name. And I know that that's not fair. And if I'd seen this and never seen Your Name, Maybe I would feel differently about it. But honestly, like your name, it just, I I mean, I'm not going to talk it up too much for those of you who haven't seen it, like you, Rob, haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to praise it to the sky, but it just has a lot more comedy and plot and emotional impact. Like there's a part in your name towards the end where I'm like misting up, like my eyes are welling. And um, And this is is because the rain is steaming up your glasses, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Those little fish raindrops have crawled into my eyes. But I think that, and that's a very unfair and for this this film, Weathering With You, for me to to compare it like that. It does have its own good things to say. It does have its own positives for sure. But um, I would say that Your Name has a very special place in my heart and it's something I would recommend. This I think is something fun. If you like anime, you'll definitely enjoy it. I think it's very lighthearted and a fun story. I mean, there's some dark bits, I guess, but it's pretty low stakes stuff. Mm. And overall, it's a yeah from me. And I think if I viewed it in isolation, uh, I might be a little more generous towards it. But unfortunately, <laughs> I'm a biased creature. So I, I think it's, for me, it is a yeah film and maybe because I haven't seen Your Name. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm mm-hmm. one down on that. But I, but I have seen um, the Five Centimetres anthology one. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of prepped for this style with this one. Mind you, if he does another movie where it's raining all the time and there's a cat, <laughs> and there's a teen romance. We, we, we're going to have to have words. <laughs> I can't promise you that he won't. <laughs> you know, like, like, like Tim uh, Burton goes to that particular well once too often and, yeah, so, you know. But then again, did we ever complain about Miyazaki doing riffs upon his tropes all the time? No, but you would say he reskins them enough that they don't appear to be the same. Like I would say there's a, a decent distance between something like Porco Rosso and Kiki's Delivery Service. So, mm. you know, I think that he puts a little bit more more paint over the top. <laughs> I also think that um, this film is more grown up than 
many of the Miyazaki films, you know, I mean, uh, Ponyo obviously is one of the younger ones uh, and you go yeah. through to Spirited Away and How's Moving Castle and uh, and some of the, the later films which are more adult. But this one, the, he, this guy's films play um, to a sort of a, a high school audience more, yeah, so, so they're yep, a bit, yep, a bit more sure. grown up allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, allegedly. But overall enjoyable. Yeah. Um, that was Weathering With You. It's a year from Zero G. You can find it on Netflix. You can also find Your Name, his other film, on Netflix as well if you wanted to do a double feature. Um, why don't we listen to another track from the soundtrack? So we have another one from the Rad Wimps soundtrack, and this one is called We'll Be All Right. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. That was We'll Be All Right by the Radwimps, or Radwimps, uh, and that's from the Weathering With You soundtrack, just to wrap up our little chat on that pleasant anime uh, before we drastically switch gears. <laughs> To the next thing that we wanted to chat about, which is something a little bit different for Zero G or something a little bit different in general, because this is sort of an emerging trend, which really is very similar to something that's been going for a long time. Uh, We're going to talk about the feature length sort of movie-esque podcast, narrative podcast called Shipworm. So uh, this one is two hours long, so it is just a one-off thing because we've got a few uh, narrative podcasts that we've listened to and covered on Zero G before, but they're usually in installments uh, that you can sort of, you know, weekly or what have you or catch up all in one go. But this one is two hours long. It was released in April of this year, and I did look it up and saw some nice production photos and everyone was wearing masks. And so that leads me to believe that it was uh, created and produced and made recently or during the time of COVID, uh, which I thought was kind of a cool thing as well uh, because, you know, it does lend itself to being able to be done safely uh, under those circumstances. So the production company who has released Shipworm 2 Up Productions, they've done some previous narrative type podcasts. So the main one of note would be Limetown, which we covered on Zero G a while ago now. It's a six-part radio drama. It's now a TV series with two seasons. Uh, and that was on SBS recently too. And you can catch that if you would like to watch either the TV series or I do recommend the podcast. It's sort of another mystery thriller type thing. And they've also done a musical podcast called 36 Questions, which stars Jonathan Groff from Frozen and Hamilton, original cast. And they also did a documentary podcast called The Wilderness, which features John Favreau, not that John Favreau, another John Favreau, unfortunately. And that one's political documentary podcast about the Democratic Party. Yes, that, that John Favreau is one of Barack Obama's speechwriters. Yes. So, I mean, both Favreau's, I mean, you go, guys. You're doing pretty well for yourselves. Um, but, yes, yeah, so two-hour productions have been dipping their toe in all kinds of different podcasts and pushing the boundaries. But, of course, this format is not that new because it's essentially a radio play. Um, so, in podcast form. And they have an intermission in it. So, they might as well have done it in two episodes. 
<laughs> exactly. But I did enjoy the fact that it is free, obviously, and there are no ads. It does have that intermission break, but it is kind of more explaining a little bit about the production and encouraging you to tell your friends, which I'm all right with. I think that's okay for an intermission in such we'll things. Tell our, we'll so tell our fiends. <laughs> exactly. Which is all of our zero G listeners. Um but, yeah, so, I mean, the thing with this is it's not like an audio book where there's description, blah, blah, blah. There's sound effects. It's very much an in-the-moment thing. And it was written by Zach Akers and produced by Skip Bronke, and they were part of Limetown, and they've got such fun names to say as well. Uh, and so they do know what they're doing from what I gather. And and I, and and I noticed that um, there's an episode of Limetown where uh, – a veterinarian has an implant in his brain that allows him to communicate with a pig mind to mind. And and I'm wondering if that formed like the, the kernel of concept for this particular movie on radio. <laughs> it could be, in fact, because I thought the prep, I mean, it's kind of got this log line, which right away grabbed me and I went, oh, we should cover this for the show. I think this sounds really interesting. So uh, in terms of the story and what Shipworm is about, so it is about Wallace Conway, who we meet very early on and we learn quite a lot about his life pretty straight up, which is very clever the way this is done, actually. You learn quite a lot through very little dialogue. But he, I'll just sort of read out what the professional logline for it is because I think it describes it perfectly. Wallace Conway wakes up to find he's been implanted with an untraceable earpiece while sleeping. So as long as so long as he does everything the voice on the other end tells him, he and his family will live. Mm. So he has this voice in his ear uh, from the conductor. So we get a lot of this dialogue between the conductor and Wallace and Wallace embarks on (laughs) quite the epic day as the conductor instructs him to do different tasks which seem to escalate and escalate and escalate and as we learn more throughout the length of the piece we learn quite a bit more about Wallace's past and about exactly what is going on so I think that'll do it justice without spoiling anything (laughs) and uh yeah, it's it's quite a thriller. So it's definitely firmly in a kind of a thriller drama type of genre. Yeah, we're in we're in the phone booth really with Joel Schumacher. You know, that's sort of one where the, the yeah. protagonist is forced to do things that they normally wouldn't do because of a threat mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not an unusual area. Um you know, and, and as a I think of it as a radio play in a way, even though it's streaming. It is, yeah. Uh, and it's very well done. The sound effects are great, <laughs> if, if a little gross in places. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, just a bit of a warning on that one fairly early on in the piece, and you'll see it coming. There's some uh, unsavoury vomiting sounds. <laughs> Let's just give you that warning because I I was I, sh- I shied away from that, so I think people deserve to know. <laughs> I actually wanted that to be a bit more graphic, but never mind. <laughs> it was simple. That's just you're on your own there, Rob. <laughs> I hit they hit the wall early. <laughs> now Wallace Conway, Conway, sorry, Doctor Wallace Conway. Uh, he mm-hmm. is um, a Broadway actor, so he's done lots of theatre. Uh, Cats, Memphis, Once on This Island. Well, he can sing, which comes in handy. Cool. <laughs> Yes, Quentin Earl Darrington is the actor who plays mm-hmm. Wallace. And Miriam Silverman, and she's 
been seen before, if not heard, in bad education, <laughs> law and order, criminal intent, and elementary. And she, oh, there you go. she does a great yeah, job. She delivers a vo- vocal performance that's not too far off of Scarlett Johansson's turn as an, mm-hmm. an AI in the movie. Mm, yeah, and and definitely she is very good at switching tone and switching the feeling of, you know, going from sinister to lighthearted. And she has a lot of good funny lines too. I think there's a lot of dry exchanges which I found really benefit from the chemistry between those two voice actors as well. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, so it's a bit of an interesting thing. What was your overall feeling about it, Rob? I enjoyed it. Uh, I wanted it to land a little bit harder than it did at the end, uh, and I mm. felt that they played in a fairly tropic way with our expectations in the conclusion. And I and I thought, mm-hmm. well, I don't really enjoy that. But I, the ride was good enough for me. This kind of mm-hmm. this kind of high concept mono theme, it can work and it cannot work. And in this case, it did work very well. And I, and I I think that. Um, the sound effects in this were what made it for me. Oh, they were exceptional. And I think I don't think it's ruining it to say there's so many different kinds of sounds. There's some ocean that you'll get later. There's running, which sounds weird, but like the running sounds are done so well. And and even just the the distance of voices, like, you know, different characters of different volumes, and you can really get a sense of how it is in the space. Like I did find myself able to imagine these scenes or feel enough about it that I could envision exactly what was happening. And I thought that really is a testament to how rich the sound design and how great the voice acting and it all, how it all came together. Yeah, stereo speakers or good head, good headphones are advisable for listening. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think the title, Shipworm, which of course is the little critters that bore through the hulls of wooden ships, I think – yeah, they're disgusting. I looked them up. My mistake. <laughs> I think that, well, they do what they do, you know, and mm. terrifying Pinocchio, no doubt. But the title itself is significant because it describes what the the character of the conductor is kind of doing to poor old mm, exactly. Dr. Connie. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. And that's the thing, I think, at the start – they like they really teetered on the edge. I get very fatigued with exasperated character can't grasp his situation. I think if that drags on too long, like this can't be happening, blah blah blah. I won't believe it. If that goes on too long, I get very annoyed. Unless it's Cary Grant. <laughs> okay, yeah, he gets a pass. Caveat for Mr. Grant <laughs> in practically every movie that he's ever done. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like that someone failing to grasp the situation and go on the ride, I just want them to get to the point where we can move the plot forward. And this teetered on the brink of a bit too long in that phase. Mm-hmm. But overall, push through. I think you learn so much about who Dr. Conway is through his interactions with the other characters early on that he's, you know, talking to and going to see. And obviously there has to be a bit of exposition, but I think the way it's done is great uh, in terms of how you learn about different facts and different things. Uh, Of course, there's a few monologues, but, you know, that's going to happen. I laughed quite a few places. I thought that was a really nice 
touch that the conductor could be funny as well and he could be funny <laughs> despite his circumstance. And I was, I was pleasantly, I enjoyed this. I really did. I wouldn't say I, I'm a bit like you in that I don't think it, I loved Limetown. I thought Limetown was amazing, but maybe that's because it had more time to simmer and maybe because the story had a bit more of a twist of the knife at the end. But I would recommend this. I would definitely recommend this. And I think it's a nice way to pass two hours, especially I think if you do it in the right situation, like headphones, focus on it. Like don't necessarily do this while you're hanging up the washing. I mean, you can, but you want it to think about it like you would a movie that you want to watch. Really put the energy into focusing on it. That would be my advice. Yeah, I did that. I I, I sat down and I didn't do too much else, which is rare for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while, while I was listening to it because, yeah, I am a, a person who will do the vacuuming while listening to podcasts. And, yeah, well, I'm glad you didn't. No, I, I knew that um, I couldn't. Um, it, it deserved, not that the other podcasts that I listened to don't deserve my attention, but this one had a certain narrative drive to it that mm. I needed to pay full attention to. Yeah, it's a different mm. beast. That is Shipworm and it is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify. Actually, I haven't checked if it's on Spotify, but I'm pretty sure it would be. Uh, you can just search for it. You could also listen to it online, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so yeah, check that out if you're interested. To wrap that up, we might listen to a track. So this one is actually from Limetown, which as I mentioned before, is uh, the other narrative podcast that Two Up Productions released. So this one is the title theme from Limetown. Zero G is fun, as you were. Triple R. That was the title theme from Limetown, which is another narrative podcast released by Two Up Productions, and that track is by Martin D. Fowler. So I think that brings us to the end of Zero G for today's Hmm. show. Hmm. Thank you for your choices, Megan. They're very interesting. No worries. Our Bowie track for the week, Crystal Japan, which is uh, an instrumental that Bowie did back in Mm -hmm. 1980, released it in Japan in uh, spring when the uh, the cherries were trees were blossoming i imagine yes. and he mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. kicking back with uh, a drink of his choice <laughs> in fact he did a japanese commercial for that drink <laughs> using this music but he didn't write it for that he he he, he said <laughs> it was originally going to uh, close the scary monsters album but they stuck in It's No Game instead. But they did release it um, as a B-side to the single Up the Hill Backwards in 81. And that's about it for Zero G. And we shall be back next week, Bob Jan. And Megan McKee. Indeed, with Kayla Larson, who's kind of like our um, our dubbing person (laughs) who does the podcast for us, which you can catch up with at rrr.org.au. Coming up next is Joe Bernatic with Astral Glamour, Mr. Bowie and Crystal Japan. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.